Don, I think we're going to need a bigger podcast. I was trying to make a long thing about how my, about doll's eyes and I couldn't string it together. Anyway, sharks. <laughs> anyway, sharks. That was a good, I am proud of you for, for making that poll because that is a fantastic monologue from the original summer blockbuster Jaws. Yes. We are talking sharks. Lots and lots of sharks. We have a very interesting podcast, a very special uh, interview, because this one, much like the Lava episode a couple months back, is conducted by Lucas, because he found a shark person that he really wanted to talk to. Yes, thank you, Lucas, for actually doing legwork. Unlike us, or unlike me, at least. (laughs) Thank you, Lucas, for doing more than half the work on this episode. Yes. He also sent me everything I'll edited, and it is going to be very great for me. But... On that note, Don, let's just jump into it so we can get to Lucas's awesome interview. Let's get right into it, yeah. Okay, so in science news this week, one fun story that I found, Don, is science around cats. Tell me more. Well, it's part of a project, a citizen science project, called the If I Fits, I Sits. Ah, everyone's favorite meme. Yes. So you know the whole thing about cats and boxes. Like, you put a box out and a cat will sit in it. Yes. Uh, I mean, my cat does it too. She loves empty boxes. We spend, like, 80 bucks on these cat towers and whatever, and she sits in the box that came in. You love cats. But basically, they wanted to see if cats responded to other shapes. You know, not necessarily just boxes. And from what I've gathered, they have these, like, little Pac-Man-like symbols Okay. And they they laid them flat on the floor. So it's not even like 3D. Like these are just flat on the floor. And so there's one so that the mouse of the Pac-Man basically framed a square. And then they did ones where where the mouths all faced outward. So, you know, not necessarily creating that illusion of a square, you know? Right. And apparently... The cats were more inclined to sit in the in the fake square than the one where the mouths were facing out. Interesting. And so they they looked like they had they had a couple like conclusions that they could draw from this. One is that they were thinking that this might be driven something by uh, some by animal instinct, and that they're more attracted to the idea of confined spaces because they feel safer and able to hide. But you saw something about something to do with their visual perception. Yes. Um, so I, from what I read, cats vision, like their up, up close vision mm-hmm. is pretty bad. I actually had not heard that. Yeah. So it, um, it sounds like that, like, so when they, but when they think they're confined in a box or even just the idea of a box, it makes them feel safer. Ah, okay. Because they're like, I can't see super well, but like, I know that I'm safe because I'm in a small box. And like, like I know that this wall is right in front of me, so there's nothing else like directly in front of me. Exactly. God, I love cats. They're so cute. I know Lucas hates them, but guess what? He's not on this podcast to trash them. Yeah. We do this news when he's not here to to defend his stance. Well, we'll keep moving into Pokemon news, Don. Yeah, so I understand that there is an event going on that explains why I've been seeing a bunch of dark types in Pokemon Go. So we ended the fairy type event, I guess, on Sunday? This past Sunday? Yeah, I think it was Sunday. Yeah, and so that was the the X event, and so now we have the Y event, which is the introduction of Eveltal. And they've also spiked 
all dark types. That's why you are seeing them. There's still a couple fairies. I'm frustrated because I'm stuck on my shiny Mew quest and I only need ice types. And I was looking forward to them bringing Sneasel in for this. And you can only get Sneasel during this event from eggs, which don't count towards the research. That's extremely frustrating. Yes. I have to wait till the damn winter to complete this stupid quest. So it's, it's even up there. It's like winter only. You guys get them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you can get, like, Swinubs and Sneasels in Rocket Encounters, but it's, like, a 1 in, like, 30 chance or something. Okay, so not the best, not your best odds. And then you need to catch 30 Ice Types, so. Right. But it looks like the Y event is a two-part event, so the part one has started and will run through, I think, for, like, a week. And then part two is on the back end, and I believe part two is when we will get Sylveon. That's exciting. Yes, uh, yes. Sylveon, and then we're done with the Eevees. No more Eevees, because they've yet to give us any in two generations. I saw a thing the other day, and I'm going to repeat it here and act like it was my idea, to have a, um, they, if they stealth added like an Eevee, a new Eeveelution, but it's a normal type and it evolves at level 99, and they snuck it into the game in like a, like a graphical update patch or something like that, and like the whole lore is that no one ever discovered it, because no one ever leveled their EV up to ninety nine. In what game? Wait, in Sword? No, this was no. I was like, if they just put in like oh, the next okay. whatever the okay. next game is, if they just did something like that, it would just yeah. be a fun time. <laughs> Someone would do it though, and then the internet would find it. It would never be the Mew under the bus thing because of the internet. Mew under the bus is the the best. We also need to do finish up our our evolution episodes because we didn't go back to that. But yeah, we do. Uh, so that's the, that's the Pokemon Go news. Also the, the Go Battle League is wrapping up in a week. But other than that, the Players Cup is still ongoing. I think the TCG one is active right now because that one spans a lot, a bigger portion of time. The, the VGC one's just kind of like a weekend and then you wait, like you're still waiting, right? Yes. It's not an immediate, um, thing. Okay. I think the... The only, the last bit of news that I have, which is a little bit disappointing for me, did you see the the card news, Don? Um, how they will not be as purchasable. Yes. So, as as many who have been trying to buy cards have come to see, is that they have risen in popularity and in the past year, which is good. It's good for the game. It's good. You know what's. Uh, but unfortunately, that has come lots of conflict between people and scalpers and all that kind of stuff. And like people going to stores and clearing out like sections to resell at like higher market prices. And it's been a little bit of a mess. And stores have tried to come up with different ways to combat it. Like I know that like my local card shop only really only lets you buy one of each like box the week that it comes out i know that and this is not just limited to pokemon because i know that target and walmart and other stores were also limiting like sports cards baseball football all those kinds of things i don't blame them based on like a lot of the horror stories i've seen like people yelling at the employees people getting in fights with other customers it's been a very very weird time i'm thankful that in all of my adventures to buy cards of all kinds i have not seen any any of those encounters, but it just kind of makes me sad that it's like, it came to that point, you know? Yeah. It's a little wild, but 
I don't bl- I, I I don't blame Target for for doing it. I think Walmart originally got lumped into it, and then I think they said that they actually did not put a pause on it. I know every time I've walked through Walmart, I never see. Um, I always like keep an eye out for cards because I always like almost like impulse buy them, and I just have not seen cards in months. Yeah, I've been. Well, yeah, I've not I've not seen them in a Target or a Walmart or any like big box store in basically a year. I have. I've pretty much only been able to get them through pre-ordering with my local local game shop. And they've been fantastic. All right. I think it's time, Don, that we turn this show over to the one and only veteran Lucas. Let's hear it. Woo! That's the most animated you've ever been. Yep. <laughs> it's uh, all you get. <laughs> Hello everybody, Veteran Lucas here. Hope you guys are having a fantastic day or night wherever you are. So today I am very fortunate to get to introduce you guys to a fellow Florida man like myself. Uh, This is Tyler. Uh, Everyone say hi to Tyler. Tyler, say hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So can you please tell these people uh, why you are here and what you do? So I am the manager of the Florida program for shark research, which includes the international shark attack file. And we're based out of the Florida museum of natural history. So we invite, or we investigate shark bites all over the world. Uh, We interview the victims and we work with local healthcare professionals, law enforcement, scientists, document these events and figure about how to mitigate them in the future. Oh, that's, that's amazing. So you actually make sure that, Anytime someone panics about a shark attack in the water, you try and make sure that people don't do that? Yeah. So we, we investigate, like, what were the circumstances involved? Who is at fault? Was, what, did the shark initiate this inter- interaction? Did the person? And what kind of behaviors were involved? And how can we, you know, keep people safe in the future? If there's a lot of, you know, unjust fear, then uh, people are, you know, less protective of the sharks. Of course. So, so how did you go from, like, a kid reading a big old textbook of sharks to hear. I feel like you were the guy who had a big book of sharks as a kid. Am I wrong? No, I decided at the ripe old age of, of two to, to study sharks and get my PhD. So <laughs> I did have a big old book of sharks. Um, so I've, I've honestly spent my whole life kind of bu- building my resume. I'm, I'm all the way from volunteering to going through undergrad. I've worked in a variety of different uh, animal systems, everything from sea turtles to tree frogs. Um, and I'm currently still working on my PhD dissertation while being a staff member at the Florida Museum. Um, and so right now I'm, I'm actually investigating the shark bite capital of the world, which is New Smyrna Beach. So I track the, the shark's movements and I look at corresponding environmental factors and see you know, for example, when the temperature is like this, when are what are the sharks doing, or when the tide's doing this, what are the sharks doing? So I can better predict when sharks and humans are going to overlap in the environment there. So, are there any common myths that you can debunk just very quickly about like when and where sharks attack, just from your research? Oh, there's so so many. I mean, Pick your uh, people. My favorite is. Um, People have this strange idea because there's this, the line is sharks can smell blood from a mile away. So people get this image that you scrape your knee and a mile away, a shark gets excited. Like that's, it's nonsense. So basically what that's trying to say is that sharks can still smell blood in the water that's diffused 
over a mile. So it's very diluted into the into the water, but they can still detect it. Hey, that was um, when I worked for the Florida Aquarium. We had tons of questions about sharks and everything. Uh, at one point, I had to discuss with my bosses, listen, we're trying to teach about sharks and how they're not safe. I mean, how they are safe, how they're not dangerous. And like, yeah, yeah. So so why does our tunnel music sound like a ripoff of Jaws? What message are we sending here? Right. The the, the scariness is, uh, it, it brings people in, but it also kind of reinforces stuff. So it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Luckily, we were able to get it changed. And it's this really nice, calming, relaxing music now. But it was one of those things that like with sharks, obviously they can look a little scary, but the, we shouldn't be enforcing that they are scary. We should be enforcing that they're big, weird fish. Exactly. The vast majority of bites we see are, are usually accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know, maybe a lot of times they're investigating because remember they don't have hands. So they might take a little bite to see what something is, or it's in murky water. They can't see real good. These are not active predation events. And and honestly, a lot of the bites that we see are from smaller animals of the species involved. So we, 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 no what worries, we believe no worries. is um, that the juveniles are still learning to hunt and they make more mistakes. Mm. Okay, so it's literally just the, the younger ones are just trying to learn their environment. And this is all they can do is just try and feel with their teeth. Right. Okay, cool. So what? makes a shark a shark like a lot of people when they obviously when you see the silhouette it's one of the most famous silhouettes in the world of an animal but what makes a shark and its relatives so unique so sharks as a group have been around for more than 400 million years they're they're fish but they're very specialized fish their bones are made of cartilage so it's very bendy it's the material that your nose and your ears are made out of they have these incredible, you know, almost superpowers where they can sense the electric fields given off by other animals. Um, and also, they're incredibly diverse. There are over 500 species and counting. Uh, we keep finding more in the deep oceans. And they have adapted to every ocean habitat and even some areas of fresh water. Having lived in Tampa Bay, I'm familiar with that last one. There's a... <laughs> <laughs> so if you go out to Hillsborough Bay, which is like a smaller bay within Tampa Bay, there's a mouth mm-hmm. of a river that is a designated bull shark breeding ground because of that. Yes, they are the the champions of moving between uh, marine and freshwater. Yeah, they, they're quite they're quite adept at that, which, again, kind of brings out the fear. It's like, oh, it could attack us anywhere like it. It could, but it doesn't want to. It's just just chilling. He's just living his life. Don't don't get too scared of him. Exactly. So. Um, one thing I did want to ask, because obviously you've spent so much time with these animals. Uh, what is a cool shark fact that most people don't know about these animals? What's something that you wish more people knew about sharks? That all sharks are not the same. I mean, we, people like to just group all sharks and describe them as if they were the same animal. And, you know, say sharks do blank. Where in in reality, uh, a white shark and a bull shark are about as genetically related as a dog and a kangaroo. These sharks are incredibly diverse and and you just cannot be generalized like that. Can I just say mad respect for calling it a white shark instead of a great white shark? Uh, People, (laughs) that's how you know it's one of the real ones. Only a real marine biologist, only a real one is going to say white shark, not great white shark. Well done. 
Well, there's no lesser white shark, so there's nothing great to compare it to. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing it based on just phylogeny, what it looks like, the salmon shark could be called a lesser great white. Look, it's like a cute mini great white. This is true. Uh, the, the affectionate term I have heard is the corgi great white. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. That's amazing. So I know that you are, um, before we... When we were talking about getting this interview, we were planning on times to do it. You said you had some more research you're going to do. What is that research going to be? Is that more on the um, the shark capital? Yes. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to tag a bunch of black tip sharks. Those are Carcharhinus limbatus is the Latin name. And that we think what's happening at the shark bite capital of the world, but can't conclusively say yet, is that this is an undocumented nursery. And because of the natural and man-made structures in the area, there's this constant wave action, which makes it really nice for surfers, but also it's prime hunting grounds for these little baby sharks. So they can leave their nursery in this mangrove and come out onto the beach. But the water's really, really you know, turbid and, and murky. And so they make mistakes because they just look at uh, the movement. And so they end up biting somebody and the person's normally double the size of the shark, if not more. So the shark's scared, the person's scared, they both go their separate ways. And it usually is a pretty minor interaction. So I'm going to go out there and actually uh, tag them with acoustic transmitters to see where they go. Oh, very cool. Um, does this have anything to do with, um, again, I know there's migrations off the coast of Florida every now and again. So yes. you think that this is a um, like a pit stop almost to have your babies and keep moving or is it something else? So you're absolutely right. So the black tip migration along the East Coast of the U.S. is one of the largest shark migrations in the world. T hundreds of thousands of animals moving from the Carolinas to southern Florida every year. And so this is, uh, I think, a combination of things. And there's some individuals that don't migrate for reasons that we don't understand. So it could be some of these, we call them resident animals. Uh, the babies don't migrate. They're too small. But it likely is a pit stop for some females. They'll, they'll stop here, they'll pup, and then they'll kind of take a year off uh, to, to, to rest up because it's a lot of energy to give birth. So we think it's a, a combination of things that could include some migrants, but it's a lot of resident and juvenile animals. Oh, that's... Again, your life is so cool. Again, I, I, <laughs> in my old job, we had a ton of people who would come in and volunteer like, I want to be a marine biologist. That was like the whole thing. But you would eventually see them either tailor off or find something else. But you actually, like, you do the thing. You do oh. the thing. That's so cool. I'm very fortunate. <laughs> now, I did want to ask about shark conservation. Because if, if you look back, even 10 years ago, saving yeah. and liking sharks wasn't cool. Like, yeah. if you liked a shark, you were seen as the weird kid in high school. If you liked sharks, it was just like, oh, why don't you like dolphins instead? But now <laughs> we're seeing a lot more of people, like, actually, you, you see it online. People make cute shark art. People have an appreciation for these animals. How, how can we keep that going? How can we actually help these animals? Because from what I remember, sharks are not doing so great worldwide. You're right. Uh, so the, the good news is that Right here in the U.S., we're actually doing pretty good on shark conservation. Uh, we even have sustainable shark fisheries, but you're right. Uh, globally, shark numbers are still declining, and this is primarily because of shark finning, so the act of harvesting shark fins to be used in shark fin soup. It's a, a, an, an Asian, specifically Chinese uh, dish that's usually for the upper uh, wealthiest 
class. It's kind of a status symbol. And this takes place in international waters and it targets, you know, open water shark species. And they've just been decimated, unfortunately. So the average person can't, you know, go out and stop a Chinese shark finning market, but they can, you know, help reduce their plastic use. They can keep the oceans clean. They can support uh, environmental policies. Um, and also just, you know, advocacy, making it, you know, known and, and, and shown that, that sharks are important to the public. So we can't get over this kind of image of jaws and this fear. And we need to realize that sharks are, are really important to our ecosystems as predators. They're normally the apex or top predators. They remove the weak or the sick animals, keeping those prey species populations uh, in check as well as healthy. And so they're key parts of their ecosystems. And so the fear about being bitten is just not ju justified. And because these are really, really rare events. And as I've already said, they're normally accidental. And the vast majority are, are pretty minor. Um, you're 400 times more likely to die in a Florida boating accident than being, than being killed by a shark. It's just not something that you need to really worry about in your daily life. And so learning about something can make it less scary. So I encourage folks to, you know, check out the Florida Program for Shark Research's website or go to your local aquarium and, and learn about sharks and know why they're so important to our oceans and how just cool they are and be the best advocates we can be. I, I, so yours is the boating accident one. My, um, my favorite when talking about sharks versus other things is you're more likely to get crushed by a vending machine. Absolutely. Or killed by a cow. Killed by a cow. <laughs> the cow one's good. I love the vending machine one because people go like, how can you die from a vending machine? And I remind them, what is your first reaction when that machine doesn't give you the Doritos you paid for? Shake it. <laughs> ah, oh, 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 I see where you're going. <laughs> yeah, no, that's dangerous. Again, it's so weird that you have, again, you live your life around these animals and uh, people here in Japan are absolutely terrified of sharks. Like when I ask my class who likes sharks, like you'll get like the one weird kid who likes animals, all animals. And then everyone else like, ew, no, they're scary. They'll bite. And it's like, no, it's they're not scary. I promise. I know I'm your English teacher, but trust me, I, I know. <laughs> Believe your English teachers, kids. Yes. So, so again, thank you so much for teaching about this stuff and doing that. But we didn't bring you here just to talk about real world sharks. We're here to talk about some Pokemon sharks. All right. So I think when we talk about sharks, we got to start with Sharpedo. So please, just by looking at the design of a Sharpedo, give me your thoughts. <laughs> well, it's kind of like a mola mola and a shark had a baby. And I say that with love. <laughs> uh, so they get the, the triangular blade teeth of a white shark in there. It's got counter shading coloration. So it's dark on top, light on the bottom. That's for camouflage. So if you see the animal from below, it looks kind of light, like it's, you know, the sunlight. If you look down, it's dark. So the deep ocean, uh, there's even notches in the dorsal fin or the top fin uh, that we see in real sharks from normal wear and tear with age. So, you know, there's, there's definite real world inspiration and, and it's, you know, obviously one of my favorite Pokemon. Uh, I think my favorite description of a Sharpedo that someone gave me was, it's four sharks in a trench coat. <laughs> Never it's, it's four different sharks in a trench coat. It's my favorite one to talk about when it comes to this Pokemon. Again, it is, 
it was the first like aquatic Pokemon in my eyes, aside from Gyarados. That like, wow, that's absolutely terrifying. I do not <laughs> want to fight that, but at the same time, I need to put it on my team. Uh, I did want to read off the difference between the Pokedex from its first game and the Pokedex now. So this is from Ruby. Uh, nicknamed the Bully of the Sea, Sharpedo is widely feared. Its cruel fangs grow back immediately if they snap off. Just one of these Pokemon can thoroughly tear apart a super tanker. Um, let's see, where was it? They had. Let's see the uh, the latest one. The latest one in Pokemon Sword and Shield kind of went back to the violence. It went back to like, this Pokemon is noted the bully of the sea. Any ship entering the water, Sharpedo calls home, will be attacked, no exception. Which is kind of a step back. In, in, in Pokemon Moon, it pointed out it has a sad history. In the past, its dorsal fin was treasured foodstuff, so this Pokemon became a victim of overfishing. Yeah, they were moving a little bit in the right direction with, with, with Moon, and we've kind of taken a step back, which is sad, but I guess it's sad that they, they make it out to be the bully, but, but a small part of me really enjoyed being chased by them on the Isle of Armor. <laughs> oh my god, that whole thing was like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ride my blasters, and oh, my, I'm gonna ride my little bicycle, and oh my god, oh no, 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 pedal, 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 pedal. <laughs> And then, I mean, you get into the fight, but at that point, you already have a level 100. It's like, ah, oh, now I'm just annoyed. Got to pick a yeah. fight with this thing. So if you could make edits to Sharpedo's design, what would you do with it? So I, I have several. I, I, at first, I'd give it a tail uh, because as current design, it, it kind of lacks maneuverability and, and stability. So it, it you know, be hard to like stop and and you know turn on a really quickly and so just to kind of help it out and be the best hunter it could um this may no longer be canon and i'm going to do a deep dive here in pokemon coliseum excellent game um torpedo's mm -hmm. eye moved back and forth behind its gills really? i don't think that's canon anymore but i always found that so weird because you know it can't you know see <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, so, oh yeah, it's going. Let me quick. My eyeballs will hide into my lungs for safety. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, I would fill the gap on its bottom row or its bottom jaw actually has a gap in the front, which not sure why. Uh, just just does. Uh, and then lastly, I'd make it not evolve from a bony fish like a piranha. And maybe we can get a future regional variant that'll fix this. <laughs> again, that was, again, I understand the design point. What's a fish that's really mean and small? Piranhas, I think. Okay, what's a bigger fish that's really mean? Oh, shark. <laughs> Perfect. Put them together. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we could, we could talk about how piranhas aren't vicious either. This whole line is just a bunch of Pokemon that like, hi, we're actually not that scary, but we're going to be made scary anyway. We happen to have large teeth. <laughs> we happen to be mildly frightening. So, of course, we're related. Exactly. So, okay, so let's go back to Pokemon Sun. Uh, if I were to jump on a shark's back and ride it like a jet ski, is that safe for either of us? Well, I would not think that jumping on the back of the, quote, bully of the sea would, uh, <laughs> would go well. And in real life, we actually see, unfortunately, folks try to ride these wild animals and if I'm at home and I, you know, grab my cat's leg and yell mush at, and he turned around and bit me, 
no one would be surprised. But when a shark does it, it's like shocking to people. So we call that a provoked incident. So no, I I wouldn't ride it like a jet ski. I, I keep remembering videos of some guy jumping on the back of a whale shark and riding it. And everyone's like, oh, that's so funny. It's like he's using surf and Pokemon. It's like, no, no, he's actually damaging that massive creature that can't fight back. Exactly. And, and and something that whale sharks won't really bite. They're filter feeders. But, I mean, I've seen people do this with, you know, very large animals like tigers and white sharks. And, uh, you know, they're wild animals. They may not like it when you grab them. And ride them for an Instagram selfie. That might not be their thing. Yeah. So then they come across my desk. (laughs) You didn't even get the permission before taking the photo. And that's just bad manners. Exactly. (laughs) So we did have another shark. And thankfully, your fiance pointed it out before we started the interview. It completely skips my mind every time that it's a shark. We need to talk about the Garchomp, especially with Gen 4 coming at this remake. What is this thing? Help me understand what this land shark is. It is a glorious mistake. Um, So it actually, you can see like gill slits. It's got, you know, the protrusions on the side of its head that kind of look, make it look like a hammerhead shark. Um, It's even got some similar markings to Sharpedo. It's got the fins. So it's like, you know, an ancient relative of Sharpedo dragged itself out of the ocean and, and, you know, evolved to have legs. But the big problem here is that sharks are cartilaginous skeletons. They're very bendy and flexible, and they're going to be supported in the water. And on land, they're just going to be mush. So as much as I love the Goliath land shark, uh, he really wouldn't be that fearsome unless he came up with somewhere to calcify his bones. So I'm trying. I'm reading through some of its Pokedex entries, and what's really weird is that it talks about its scales. Like it has fine scales. Uh, its fine scales don't just reduce wind resistance. The sharp edges also cause injury to any opponent who attacks them. So it has the rough skin of a shark. So how can the skin uh, be both like cartilaginous and floppy, and also rough at the same time? Again, there's this dumb meme of like, oh, sharks are smooth. Sharks are smooth. They're not. But uh, like, can you explain more about their scales? Sure. So they actually look like little barbs and they all face one direction and they're called denticles. And they actually, they're called that because they actually have like dentine and enamel, like a tooth. Um, and so they can cut down on the resistance of the water. And even some sharks can, can flex their muscles in a way to shift the direction of the denticles to give them more maneuverability at high speeds. And so they're very sharp. And so if you were to rub your hand against the grain, it, it's like sandpaper. And in some species, it's quite rough when we're handling sharks and they're, they, you know, or we're trying to tag them and they don't necessarily enjoy it. So they're bouncing around. Uh, if you don't have gloves on, you can get what we call shark burn and where your hands come away all like scratched up and, you know, it looks like a rub, uh, rug burn or something. I remember shark burn before. Again, when you work near sand tiger sharks, occasionally you're going to get it, but most of us were pretty careful about it. it we, we always said it's the coolest injury to ever get and the, one of the coolest injuries to talk about on a first date. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Where'd you get that hand? Oh, nothing, babe. It was just some shark burn. Some what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Garchomp has always been just, it's a land shark. And it's weird that it detects, oh, it also can fly. It can go underground. It's like its Pokedex entry is all over the place. It's almost like it was written by a 12-year-old doodling on a sketchbook during math class. 
I completely agree. I did not realize as a child playing it originally that it could fly. I didn't learn that till years later. I'm like, you're just making crap up now. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're literally just like, and, and it can fly and, and it can dig and it, it's the strongest of the dragons. And, and if you touch it, you, it, it skin hurts you and it, just, <laughs> it's over, it breathes fire. It, it can cause earthquakes. It lives in a volcano. Like it's literally just, and it's, and this, and this. it's like playing with your kid brother. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, I do want to move away from sharks just a little bit and kind of talk about their cousins. Um, can we talk a bit about uh, the Mantine line? Sure. I have a I have a passion for rays that never no, no one appreciates here. Like no <laughs> one really think no one thinks about rays much. I, I had to work with them for a good while, and they're some of my favorite cartilaginous animals. Um, let's start with Mantike, the, the cute one. So, in the game, they say that Mantike has the special antennae on the tops of their head. And that's not, those aren't antennae, are they? So when you look at um, uh, mobular rays, what are the appendages at the front, the, the horn-like structures? So they're called sepalic lobes. And so they actually have several uh, functions, some of which we're, we're only guessing at, but they kind of, they can be flexible and they can funnel uh, plankton food into the mouth of the mantis because they're filter feeders like a whale shark. And they also have those sensory pores, so they can sense electric fields and, and, and other vibrations in the water. And it's even hypothesized that in some mantis species, they can flex them in different ways that can be used for communication. So wait, how would that work, that communication? That one is, is still like highly hypothesized and you know, hasn't, hasn't been shown conclusively, but, but basically they'll, they'll flatten them or they'll make them wider or they'll, they'll move them in a way near other mantas that they wouldn't on their own. So we're, we're trying to tap into this, you know, hidden communication and we're just kind of guessing at it. See, all I was imagining was two mantas looking at each other and just, just one of the lobes just pops up and waves and then it swims away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hi. What was that? <laughs> uh, now in the game, uh, this Pokemon is supposed to work together with uh, Remorades to fight off predators. In fact, in order to evolve it, you have to level it up with a Remorade in your party. So obviously, Remorades are based off Remoras. Um, how accurate is that, the idea of sharks and rays working together with the Remoras to survive? So they do have what's called a mutualistic relationship where both parties benefit, but they're not going to like go to battle with each other, if that makes sense. So remoras get to ride on, on mantas and sharks and they eat the food scraps and they clean their skin, like all they remove dead skin and they eat the parasites all while getting, you know, a free ride on a bigger animal. So they're protected. Uh, in return, the manta or shark gets a personal groomer that goes with them everywhere they do. I have seen the pictures and videos of whale sharks covered in like 30 or 40 uh, remoras. Is, th is there a... Is there a threshold to how many remoras is healthy for a shark or a ray? I honestly don't know if anyone has has studied uh, that. I know that there was some work done to look at, you know, how much drag these animals put on uh, their host. But um, I think I've even seen, you know, animals in the wild kind of like if they were kind of tired of the remora, kind of shake it off like, OK, I need a break. So. My guess is that they wouldn't get just too overblown unless they they really thought it was fine. They could shake them off. Gotcha. 
right. Now, so that's like, I'm just imagining you with a clipboard now, like a first study, uh, prevent shark attack. Second study, how many remoras is too many? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea. That could be an actual, you know, master's thesis or something. That'd be cool. I, I think it would be really interesting to just see because I don't, I'll, I've seen the debate amongst just like our people in the aquarium when we were talking and all the people in the zoo were like, all right, uh, are they are they symbiotic or are they closer to parasitic? Is it mutual? Is it not mutual? I've had people like just discussing this in like not a scientific form, just a couple of marine biologists and biologists having a drink. Absolutely. I mean, this is half of science discussions are over a drink. <laughs> <laughs> We used to have a, a bar that sadly closed down where we would literally just go there after work and we'd talk about guests and stuff. But occasionally it's like, all right, so we got this weird animal question. What do you guys think? And it's just a couple of guys in aquarium shirts just debating over how many shark teeth are going to be lost in a year while some hockey game is going on in the background. Good times. It sounds like. So I did want to ask about um, one thing in the Pokedex. It says that a lot of people will swim with Mantike. Now, obviously, swimming with manta rays is something a lot of people want to do. In fact, I know about uh, Stingray City. People will swim with the rays down there. How does swimming with rays affect these real-world populations? So this kind of falls under ecotourism. So uh, people pay to have this experience with this with these with wildlife, and so it's kind of a double-edged sword that this you know can bring money into local economies. In some parts of the world, these are very poor people who this is the basis of their whole, you know, livelihood. And it also can increase public advocacy for the animals, which can lead to greater protections. And in unfortunately, many cases, it can actually just lead to the enforcement of existing protections that weren't observed before. And not to mention that these are amazing personal experiences. However, if you're feeding wildlife, you know, these, these animals come to expect food and if they don't get it, they can become agitated. We can alter their behavior by making them reliant on humans for food or, or protection because we're giving them access to areas that they wouldn't normally. And sadly, as you know, I, I see regularly come across my desk, you know, humans can be kind of terrible and, and they think that because they paid for an experience, they get to harass the animal. That is a heartbreak. I've kind of dealt with when I worked near manatees, there would be people who would, uh, keep in mind, this was a free manatee viewing area down by Apollo Beach. They didn't even pay. They would walk in with like organic lettuce to go and feed the manatees. And we had to explain, ma'am, ma'am, that's a federal crime. They go, don't worry, it's organic. <laughs> it is something that I had to deal with as well. And I'm, I'm happy to know that I'm not the only one. Now, yeah, on to our last Pokemon I wanted to talk about. Let's talk about Mantine itself. So in the Pokedex entry, it says, um, jumps out of the water at th and can go over 300 feet in distance. Yeah, not going to see too much of that. However, there are nine species in, in this group of Mobula Ray, which includes the Mantas, and they all jump or, or breach out of the water. And the reason for this is slightly unclear, and it could be different for different species. We think that part of it's to attract mates or to, you know, kind of compete with a rival during the mating season. You know, general communication like, hey, I'm over here. It could be predator avoidance or it could be a way of removing parasites when, you know, you don't have a remora. But honestly, you know, a lot of this is just kind of guesswork. And the highest any of these rays jump is only like six to eight feet, sadly. So we're not going to get that 300 foot mark but but still very incredible to watch 
I think it would be hilarious if just there's one ray out there that jumps 300 feet and like just the one, not the species, just the one. You're out on the boat, and you're just relaxing, and then you just see it shoot across the sky and just jump back and like, what? We need to tag that one. <laughs> yeah, just you just like get get the tags. What? Get the tags. <laughs> now, much like the Sharpedo question. Should you ride a manta ray like a surfboard? Because that was um in Ultra Sun and Moon. Like, how do you yep. get from island to island? Ah, hop on the mantine's back and do some sick kick flips, bro. So back to the um, you know, harassment thing. I don't think the mantas would really enjoy that, having your weight. And also, you know, they really don't get all that close to shore in those waves on their own. So no, I don't think that's you're gonna be surfing on mantas anytime soon. Fine. Crush my dreams some more. Why don't you? (laughs) (laughs) So now we get to my favorite part. Whenever we get guests like you doing the interview, we get to our secret question. And if you've heard our episodes, you you might know what it is. Uh, If you could design any sort of cartilaginous, chondrixthes, shark, stingray, any kind of that sort of animal Pokemon, what would it be? Like, this is all you. You can do whatever you want, whatever abilities, whatever attacks, anything. It's all up to you. So we kind of hinted at you know this before but there's a a group of specialized rays that are unfortunately all critically endangered called sawfish and mega sharpedo when it it has these retractable uh teeth or spikes on its snout which is kind of like a sawfish they they basically look like a semi-flattened shark with a chainsaw for a nose and these animals can get almost 20 feet long and the saws can be six to eight feet um, and they're just incredible. And I'd like to see a really true sawfish Pokemon. And and uh, I'd like a, a non-legendary slash mythical water and fire type. And just if we could have like those, uh, they're actually not teeth. They're actually uh, specialized scales. And so when they fall out, they don't regrow. But if we could have like those be like, you know, flaming or hot uh, that would be cool. And we have a lot of sawfish species in uh, Australia. So I'm, I'm still holding out hope that we can get an Australia region and maybe I'll get my dream someday. So why are sawfish endangered? I mean, obviously the rostrum looks cool, like the all the teeth and everything, all the scales and everything on it. But is there another reason why they're endangered? So sadly, the main reason is poaching because uh, it is very it's a curio. It's, it's something people will pay good money for a decoration as well as uh, not so much anymore, but some traditional medicine uh, involved grinding them up and, and they have had, you know, habitat degradation and, and whatnot. We only have one species left in the U S and they are protected, but their numbers have actually been slowly, slowly increasing right here in Florida. Uh, And they've been, you know, kind of centered around the Everglades and we've been getting reports about them finally coming along to the other side of the Atlantic and, and popping up. So it's really cool to see them start to come back. That's good. I'm glad to hear something. I feel like Florida always gets a bad rep for you know being Florida, but we've somehow managed to bring a good chunk of animals back from the brink, like it's alligators, manatees, sea turtles, bald eagles. We've we're surprisingly decent at it. The uh, the invasive species thing overshadows so much, sadly. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife does an incredible job. 
when we were doing the manatee, when we were doing manatee rescues and stuff, when we were getting manatees in the water, there was one guy, I think his name was Alex. I'll never forget him because he literally looked like a superhero. Like he was <laughs> built like a superhero. Like the pectoral, like everything about his definition was like some, like Jack Kirby drew him up in a comic book. And he was just like, no, what's your daily job? Why? I save manatees and help the ecosystem. And it's like, okay, so why aren't you on the billboard for this thing? That sounds awesome. Yeah, no, they're they're a good bunch. Shout out to Florida Fish and Wildlife. If any of our fans are Florida Fish and Wildlife, you're one of the real ones. Let us know. I'll, I'll buy you a drink sometime. All right, so that's all I had to ask. Now, the last thing I really want to go over, where can people learn more about you, your work, and shark conservation? I want to make sure we leave that in our episode description so people can actually you know be a part of this and try and do their best to help. So I'll, I can send you the links, but if they go to the Florida Museum website and, you know, slash sharks or shark attacks, then they can go to the Florida Program for Shark Research homepage or then go to the International Shark Attack file. They can learn all about uh, numbers. So we do an annual report where we, you know, say what happened uh, in the previous year and that comes out every January. We talk about odds, contributing factors, how to reduce your already you know, extremely low risk. And uh, our records are the most extensive of anybody in the world. Uh, they date back all the way to the 1500s. Um, and so, yeah, just welcome to check us out and or contact us for more questions or even if they want to have us come and speak virtually. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for being part of this interview. It means the world to us that you listen to us. It means the world to us that you would come and talk to our fans and it means the world to us that you would still continue doing the work that you do, even do at the moment of this recording. The world is kind of nuts. So thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. All right. We'll turn it back to uh, Don and Chris. Bye, everybody. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Tyler and Lucas. That was a wonderful discussion. I thought it was awesome. I I love sharks. I think they're awesome. So I'm always excited to see more shark type things. Oh, shout out to street sharks. Oh, quality, quality game right there. Or not game, but line of, it was a show in action figures, right? Yeah, it was a show in action figures. For, for those who are not enlightened, back in the heyday of the late 80s, early 90s, anthropomorphic uh, animals were all the rage because of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And people were like, what else, can, what other animals can we make? children shows out of and one was called street sharks which were what rollerblading sharks that fought crime yes something like that um and it was a blast as a kid <laughs> yeah they did like extreme sports right yeah like and hockey they, and stuff they are the inspiration for the name of this episode because they said jawsome i love it so shout out to street sharks shout out to tyler and lucas for that wonderful interview and on that note, we will... Wait, are, aren't we supposed to talk about that other thing? Everybody, we are, we'll be at Colossal Con, which is hard for me to say because I've been talking about Colossal way too much in VGC. This is not Colossal Con. Yeah, um, shout out to my buddy Mike who would absolutely go to Colossal Con. But it is Colossal Con and it is in Sandusky, Ohio, and we'll be doing quite a few panels there. How many panels are we doing? Uh, roughly five panels. Roughly five. That's more than four. It is five. <laughs> Not roughly. Uh, it is five. 
over the span of two days and it should be it should be a lot of fun we've got so each one's about an hour so we've got about five hours to cover i've never done one of these i know you've done some in the past so this, this one yeah we did a few time. last year it was a good time well not last year no yeah no, nothing happened last year yeah uh, but no this this will be my first so i'm excited to see like what what this is all about but it'll be fun It'll be fun. And then I guess the, the other announcement is we are still continuing our uh, Pokemon Snap streams on Friday nights. Um, we've been starting at 8 o'clock. Uh, and it's been fun. We've I, I feel like we're getting close to the end. Uh, we're still, you know, finding new stuff, finding new games, new interactions. And it's been a blast. And, and Lucas has, has been... Lucas, he was, wasn't there last week because he had a doctor's appointment or something. Oh, no, he was doing the interview last time. But it's been a lot of fun, and I've uh, had some good good interactions with some of our wonderful, wonderful listeners. So if you're able to come out and join the stream on Twitch, uh, the info is in the, in the episode notes. So uh, just come on out, 8 o'clock on Friday nights. Uh, it's, it's a lot of good fun. Dom, we got to get you to come out. Uh, absolutely. I I've, it's just been I've been pretty swamped recently, but I absolutely need to be coming out at some point. Yeah, we'll get you, we'll get you on there. On that note, uh, we'll just say thank you all very much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something. Um, what, uh, if you would like to, uh, one of the best ways that you can support the show is by leaving a review for us in your podcasting app of choice. Uh, it helps others find the show. Um, it also helps us kind of know what we're doing right, what we, what you all would like to hear. So, uh, but please, 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 you know, leave us a review. Uh, and, and tell us what you would like to hear, what we're doing well, maybe what we can improve on. We, you know, we, we see them, we see it. I like to think that we see them all and, and we really do appreciate the time you take to, to fill those out. So thank you to those who have, and thank you to those who are, will in the future. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Uh, I mean, we do it so that we can, you know, build this, this wonderful group and community that, that is here. So thank you all for helping to make that happen. Uh, and on that note, I will see you next time. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Mm -hmm.